Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I'm the staff pastor at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. And today we are continuing a conversation in the book of Isaiah, but doing something a little different. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook or wherever, you can see that um, I've got a video up that I'm going to be reacting to here uh, that is a a video made by Latter-day Saints to help people understand the book of Isaiah more from their perspective. And this is, of course, is a video where I am uh, not a Latter-day Saint, but a Bible church pastor seeking to help people understand the book of Isaiah a little bit from my perspective. But inevitably, as you know, I'm seeking to primarily engage with those who are either current Latter-day Saints or former Latter-day Saints, we have to, in this book, discuss the Book of Mormon's use of the Book of Isaiah because um, it there's there's pretty blatant uh, copying going on in the Book of Mormon from the Book of Isaiah. Now, I understand from the Latter-day Saints' perspective that in the Book of Mormon, particularly Second Nephi, Second Nephi 27, that we'll look at here in a little bit, uh, but but in a variety of places, not just Second Nephi, you have a lot of Isaiah within the Book of Mormon. In fact, this video that I'm about to play here, it says a third of Isaiah is found in the Book of Mormon. You have that happening because um, it's the same message, but it's restored in the Book of Mormon, that there are, are things that should have been in the, like my Bible's version of Isaiah, but are not there. And here in the Book of Mormon, it's kind of filling out the picture and providing some of that stuff that was lost. And here in Isaiah 29, we actually have a, a really extreme instance of that. Now, Isaiah 29 isn't what's on the schedule for this week. Going back to my handy-dandy uh, schedule for the Come Follow Me curriculum. The uh, And if you hear kids screaming in the background, it's because our, our homeschool co-op is meeting right now in our church building. And there are lots of kids. It's a good thing. Uh, but this week, it's supposed to be Isaiah 50 through 57. Which, uh, yeah, man, we're, we're by me doing this, we're going to miss Isaiah fifty three, which is amazing. But maybe we'll we'll hit that next week when we finish Isaiah, Isaiah fifty eight through sixty six. Um, but I, so I am taking a step back and going back on the schedule just because I thought this is important enough to discuss when we're talking about how the Bible and Mormonism, for lack of a better term, how those kind of kind of work together. Uh, Isaiah is a real critical point where it's like, okay, what, what do Latter-day Saints, or I guess properly, what does the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints do with the book of Isaiah? Well, we, we've, we're going to see it explicitly here. Okay. So, um, I'm going to go ahead and start playing this video. I don't, I haven't really thought through how I want to do this so much, so I might be pausing it and, uh, making comments, but, but there's definitely a section break where I'm going to play this for just a little bit, and then we're going to go to Isaiah 29 and look at the text and then come back to this video. But uh, I guess I'll just go ahead and start with it, and um, we'll go from there. So a great way to study Isaiah is reading it side by side with the exact Book of Mormon text, comparing their differences, and especially studying the commentaries added by Lehi, Nephi, Jacob, Abinadi, and most importantly, the Savior. Combined together, we learn that next to the atonement of Christ, the major message of Isaiah is the restoration of the house of Israel in the last days, which is happening today because of the Book of Mormon. 
In fact, Isaiah even prophesies about the coming forth of the Book of Mormon in verses that are still a mystery to the rest of the world. Hmm. While Isaiah narrates from chapter 29, let's watch Martin Harris's actual experience. Okay. Well, that's where I wanted to do my section break. That's where I wanted to stop. I'm actually, let me um, back up the video so when we come back, we'll have a little bit more context. And I actually didn't even set up who, who this video is by. This is um, Line Upon Line for Come Follow Me. That's the name of the channel. And this is for kids. That's why it's a cartoon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't mention any of that. Sorry. I just kind of jumped right into it. Um, but there are actually four channels that I refer to, two primary ones, but four channels that I refer to when I want to see what Latter-day Saints have to say about the text that we're looking at, uh, along with their schedule. And this is one of them. It's a, a channel for kids that does a little cartoon thing and it's, they're usually pretty short. They're under 20 minutes or whatever. And, um, I thought this one was just pretty interesting in describing, their view of what's happening in Isaiah 29. So um, you heard there that, uh, you know, from the Latter-day Saint perspective, it's good to read Isaiah with the commentary from the prophets that are found in the Book of Mormon, like Nephi, and uh, that when you put the Book of Mormon side by side with the Bible, you get more commentary. All right, so we're going to um, come back to what that results in here in a moment. And we'll see that through the life of Martin Harris, as you may have caught there in that, in that cartoon. When we come back, we're going to talk about how Martin Harris understood Isaiah 29 more because of his relationship with Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon. But let's, um, let's go to Isaiah 29, and let's finally just get to this text that we're talking about here. In the book of Isaiah you have a lot of judgments pronounced from God through Isaiah. And here in this section, Isaiah is actually pronouncing judgments against Israel, uh, Jerusalem, the capital city of the Southern kingdom specifically in the previous chapter, he was pronouncing woes against the Northern kingdom and its capital Samaria. But now there's, there are judgments being pronounced against Jerusalem and Jerusalem has this nickname here, Ariel. Maybe you've heard that name before, Ariel. Well, it's a nickname for Jerusalem here in our text today. And it says, uh, we'll just start at verse 5 and start reading. Um, The multitude of your enemies will become like fine dust, and the multitude of the ruthless ones like the chaff which blows away, and it will happen instantly, suddenly. Well, that's good news, okay? So this, this verse isn't a judgment against the southern kingdom, but actually starting to give them some hope and uh, some good news about the future that, of course, they don't deserve because they deserve to be judged for their sin. That's happening a lot in this chapter. But right here in this verse, there's some hope. Your enemies are going to get blown up instantly and suddenly. Verse 6, from the Lord of hosts, you will be punished with thunder and earthquake and loud noise. Oh, back to judgment. With whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a consuming fire. And the multitude of all the nations who wage war against Ariel, even all who wage war against her and her stronghold and who distress her, will be like a dream, a vision in the night. Okay, it goes on. Um, Be delayed and wait, verse 9. Bind yourselves and be blind. Blind yourselves and be blind. They become drunk, but not with wine. They stagger but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured over you a spirit of deep sleep, 
He has shut your eyes, the prophets. He has covered your heads, the seers. All right, so just to sum up real quick before we get into the next verses, you've got God talking about his judgment that's going to come against Israel themselves. Blind yourselves and be blind. Uh, That's not a very happy statement to make because in his anger, the Lord is judging his people, Israel, particularly, again, that southern kingdom where Jerusalem or Ariel is the capital. And he's also pronouncing judgments against those who come against Jerusalem and uh, those who come against God, whether that's Jews or otherwise. All of them are going to be judged for their sin. And it's a sad state of affairs in Israel. That's really the summary of what's happening here. Um, It's just a sad state. And it said there in verse 10 that I just read that the Lord is pouring over them, the Jews, a spirit of deep sleep, shutting the prophet's eyes, covering the heads of the seers. And in the next verses, we're going to understand more of what that means. In verse 11, it says, the entire vision will be to you like the words of a sealed book, which when they give it to the one who is literate saying, please read this, he will say, I cannot for it is sealed. Then the book will be given to one who is illiterate saying, please read this. And he will say, I cannot read. (laughs) So with God pouring this deep sleep, blinding their eyes, covering their heads, it's like the, the vision that's given to them through Isaiah or any of the other prophets that God has chosen to speak to this people, they're not going to be able to understand. They're in such a bad state of sin. They've been so handed over to their sin. They've been blinded and hardened by God himself that the literate man's going to say, I don't know what to do with this. It's sealed up. I can't figure it out. I can't, I can't do anything with it. And the illiterate man's going to say, I'm illiterate. I, I can't read it. And so there's going to be no one they can turn to to help explain and understand and apply the prophets that are coming, or the prophecies rather, that are coming from the Lord. Okay, let's just keep reading here. Verse 13, then the Lord said, because this people will draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people wondrously marvelous and the wisdom of their wise men will perish and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. So again, the idea here is in his judgment, what God is doing is making them dumb, making them unable to understand his words, removing hope from them that comes from his word, because there's no one who can understand. He's going to make the wisdom of their wise men perish. It's a judgment against them. And there's no one there in this judgment to offer them hope. Keep reading. Verse 15, Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord and whose deeds are done in a dark place. And they say, Who sees us or who knows us? You turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That what is made should say to its maker, He did not make me. Or what is formed, say to him who formed it, he has no understanding. So, so what's happening in these verses? Look at, uh, I'm pointing to the screen like you can see me pointing. That's funny. Um, 13, verses 13 through 16 here. God is saying, look, um, you are living your life as though I am not real. In verse 13, he was saying, you're honoring me with lip service. You're, you're showing me reverence just by these like robotic, mechanical 
actions that are not from the heart. It's not true reverence. It's just tradition. That's the word that's used here. And so I'm going to make your wisdom fade. Your discernment is going to be concealed. And woe to you. That's what he says to his people. Woe to you. Because you're acting like I'm not real. You're turning things around. You're acting like I'm not I'm not there. God's saying, essentially, you're treating me like I'm, I'm limited in time and space. <laughs> Whenever you say, this is the end of verse 15, who sees us or who knows us? You're committing deeds in a dark place as though you're hiding your plans from the Lord, right? God says, you're turning things around. I'm the potter. I'm not the clay. Who are you to say the thing made? Who are you to say back to its maker? Oh, he didn't make me. Or, oh, he doesn't understand. Or he doesn't know. Or he can't see. God's just laying into him here. You have things turned around. But then there is hope now. True hope for Israel. And the heading in the New American Standard Bible says, Blessing after discipline. The very next verse says, is it not yet just a little while before Lebanon will be turned into a fertile field and the fertile field will be considered as a forest? On that day, the deaf will hear words of a book and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. The afflicted also will increase their gladness in the Lord and the needy of mankind will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel for the ruthless will come to an end, it says in verse 20, and the scorner will be finished. Indeed, all who are intent on doing evil will be cut off. Those who cause a person to be indicted by a word and ensnare him, who adjudicates, ad- adjudicates, sorry, that's a difficult word for me. I'm from Missouri. You have to forgive me. Ensnare him who adjudicates at the gate and defraud the one and the right with meaningless arguments. (laughs) Therefore, thus says the Lord, the redeemed who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, nor shall his face now turn pale. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. Indeed, they will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. Those who err in mind will know the truth and those who criticize will accept instruction. So there's a day of of redemption coming for Israel. There's hope for Israel. This is all about Israel, all to Israel, that these people, the Israelites, who were once... Let's see, let's go back up to that passage. Who were once seeing their wisdom perish, their discernment was concealed. This is what was happening to Israel before. These people, the Israelites, are going to be restored and experience blessing one day. Now, what's interesting is there was a time when Assyria came up against Jerusalem or Ariel, as described in this passage. And Jerusalem was protected. When Assyria attacked Israel shortly after Isaiah's prophecy here, they were only able to take the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom survived. The southern kingdom was eventually overtaken by Babylon. And so what we read at the beginning, where it says the multitude of your enemies 
will become like fine dust, the multitude of ruthless ones, like the chaff which blows away, and it will happen instantly and suddenly. That kind of happened um, when Assyria was unable to take them. Assyria only took the north, and this was written to the south. So that kind of happened then. Perhaps at that time, too, uh, you had some of this going on of this blessing that we just read about in verses 17 to the end. When the deaf were hearing the words of a book, out of the gloom and the darkness, the eyes, eyes of the blind were able to see. Perhaps there was a moment of, of spiritual renewal. But we know that that didn't last very long. If you know anything about Israel's history, uh, you know that their bright spots are very fleeting. They have mountaintops in their history, but lots of valleys. And like as soon as they get up to a spiritual mountaintop, whoop, they're back down into a valley. And, um, and so we can't say that all like th- this happened in a total fulfillment at that time because we, we don't even know if it happened really at all, if there was a, a fraction of it that, that did take place. We can assume so, but we don't know uh, for sure. And so we're not going to look at that and say it's fulfilled. And we can't even look to today and say that's being fulfilled. Now, there's an element in which that is happening, of course. We have um, the spiritually blind coming to see now that Jesus has come and purchased salvation for his people. Those who were blind now see that great hymn, Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. You have, you have that going on now in a spiritual sense. But that's not the total, complete fulfillment of this prophecy still, because this prophecy was spoken about Israel. This is to Israel. And there's coming a day when this is going to be totally, explicitly fulfilled without a shadow of a doubt. There's coming a day when there will be utter renewal in Israel, in the nation, among the people, and in their land. And in that day, this last part of the passage just will be so clear to everyone that Jacob won't be ashamed, his face won't turn pale. And, you know, when you say Jacob there, we're talking about Israel. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. We haven't seen something like this in Israel, but it's going to happen because God is faithful to do this. This is the promise that he made to them. Indeed, God says, they will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob, who, of course, is Jesus Christ. He's the Holy One of Israel. And they will stand in awe of the God of Israel. In Zechariah 14, the prophet Zechariah says, Israel will look upon the one whom they have pierced. Israel will be redeemed in the future. There will be this mass conversion of Israelites, and they will look upon the Holy One of Israel, Jesus Christ, and they will be redeemed. And instead of being judged as they were back in Isaiah's day, where, look, they're given a revelation, and the literate people say, ah, I I can't figure it out. It's all sealed up. And the illiterate are unable to even read. But instead, in that day, they will be able to understand the words of the book. That's what it says in the passage as it talks about that blessing that's coming to Israel. Verse 18, on that day, the deaf will hear words of a book. Now, it doesn't say any book in particular there, but of course, uh, God has given us lots of books. He's given us 66 books of the Bible. And um, a book, the, the word book and the theme of books is a 
uh, an interesting topic to trace through the book of Revelation. But um, basically, this is talking about God's revelation to man. And in that day, Israel will be redeemed. They will be renewed spiritually in such a way that they will finally be able to understand as prophets and seers in the nation are able to dream dreams and have visions and they're redeemed by the Lord, looking upon Jesus Christ and understanding the words of the revelation, unlike in Isaiah's day when they were dealing with such a strong judgment. So that's Isaiah 29. That's the understanding of Isaiah 29. Now, with that in place, let's go back to um, the line upon line video about Isaiah 29, because what's going to be presented here is different than what the word of God says and what we just looked at with a normal plain interpretation. Cause that's what we're always shooting for, right? We're not looking for hidden messages. We're not reading between lines. We're just looking for the plain communication. God has given us communication as a gift. Humans are different than all other created beings that are on earth in that we can communicate with one another and we're made in his image and he's communicated to us in a way that we can understand. So there's no hidden messages that we have to look for. God speaks plainly. Well, there's a hidden message method of interpretation that we're going to see in this video that, um, well, I'll just, uh, I should full screen it this time and then, uh, I'll, I'll let it play for a minute and then we'll talk about it. It rates from chapter 29. Let's watch Martin Harris's actual experience. Okay, real quick, um, something that you'll see here as the cartoon plays. As Martin Harris, here he's standing before Joseph Smith, uh, Joseph Smith sitting at a desk translating the Book of Mormon. You'll see in the bottom left corner, or you should be able to see it. Maybe I shouldn't full screen it because I think it's kind of, it might be off kilter. Um because of the way I have this set up. Sorry about that. Not an expert tech guy here. Uh, but, but one thing you'll see in the bottom left corner is that references to Isaiah 29, I'll say like Isaiah 29, 11, Isaiah 29, 12, et cetera. They're saying that those verses are being fulfilled in the life of um, Joseph Smith and Martin Harris here and the events that they go through. And so you can watch that in the bottom left corner. And that's the message that's being sent is that it's happening in this scene. The entire vision will be to you like the words of a sealed book, which, when they give it to the one who is literate, hmm. saying, please read this, he will say, I cannot because it is sealed. Then the book will be given to one who is illiterate, saying, please read this. Therefore, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Yes, some very learned men did verify the authenticity of Egyptian-like characters from the gold plates, but couldn't read it because most of the book was sealed. However, Joseph Smith, an uneducated farm boy did read and translate the unsealed portions of the book through the gift and power of God, bringing about the modern day work and wonder of restoring Jesus's church to earth and allowing the deaf and blind, those who don't know Christ, to get to know him through the Book of Mormon. All right. So 
what was being taught there is that in Isaiah 29, let's go back uh, to the text just briefly. Don't want to belabor the point here. But in uh, verse 11, I will just insert their interpretation of this into the translation. The entire vision will be to you like the words of a sealed book, the Book of Mormon, which, when they give it to the one who is literate and educated, saying, please read this, he will say, I cannot, for it is sealed. Then the Book of Mormon will be given to the one who is illiterate, saying, please read this, and he will say, I cannot read, but by the power of God, I am able to read this, and my name is Joseph Smith. <laughs> so th- that's how uh, they're interpreting those those verses. And uh, again, you know, the goal when reading the Bible is not to look for hidden meanings, but to understand plainly what has been revealed. Uh, that requires that interpretation requires adding some stuff to the Bible, and and I say that not like you know lightly. But I'm saying seriously, the the only way to get that interpretation out of that passage is to add words to the Bible. And that's exactly what's happened. Uh, I mentioned earlier that we would be checking out 2 Nephi uh, 27. Let's see uh, how this looks if I do this. Yeah, that's pretty good. 2 Nephi 27 is quoting a lot of Isaiah through this section. A ton of Isaiah is being quoted here. But uh, you'll pick up and and hear, I think, what we were just reading in Isaiah 29, but listen to all the added words in the Book of Mormon. The man shall say, I cannot bring the book, for it is sealed. Then shall the learned say, I cannot read it. Wherefore, it shall come to pass that the Lord God will deliver again the book and the words thereof to him that is not learned, and the man that is not learned shall say, I am not learned. Then shall the Lord God say unto him, The learned shall not read them, for they have rejected them. And I am able to do mine own work. Wherefore, thou shalt read the words which I give unto thee. Touch not the things which are sealed, for I will bring them forth in mine own due time. For I will show unto the children of men that I am able to do mine own work. Wherefore, When thou hast read the words which I have commanded thee, and obtained the witnesses which I have promised unto thee, then thou shalt seal up the book again, and hide it up unto me, that I may preserve the words which thou hast not read, until I shall see fit in mine own wisdom to reveal all things unto the children of men. For behold, I am God, and I am a God of miracles, and I will show unto the world that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I work not among the children of men, save it be according to their faith. So I guess I can just pause pause there. Um, it does go on to use the marvelous work uh, language that we saw in um, Isaiah 14, where God says to Israel, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous. Okay. Um, in Second Nephi 27, verse 26, it says, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, yea, a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise and learned shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent shall be hid. Um, 
and it kind of goes back and forth using some of the same language of Isaiah, but then also adding, adding some things. And, uh, let's see. I'm just going to scroll down. It's been a while since I've familiarized with myself with, uh, Isaiah 27. Oh, that, that looks like we covered everything that we should cover for our purposes today. But, uh, what I read just a minute ago, you have in verse 22, this added concept of wherefore, when thou hast read the words, which I have commanded thee, the book of Mormon should get an updated language version. That would be helpful for everybody. I think maybe not. I feel like that'd be really helpful. (laughs) When thou hast read the words, which I have commanded thee and obtained the witnesses, which I have promised unto thee. So this obtaining the witness language is new. Then thou shalt seal up the book again and hide it up unto me that I may preserve the words, which thou hast not read until I shall see fit in mine own wisdom to reveal all things unto the children of men. So, um, I don't have, uh, any official church teaching on second Nephi 27 ready to, to share today. But the basic idea is that Isaiah 29 is all about the book of Mormon. Well, I hope that my explanation of Isaiah 29 and then comparing it to the video and, and what second Nephi 27 says shows that there's a strong contrast between the way Christians approach the Bible and the way Latter-day Saints approach the Bible. And I know that some of you may have an adverse reaction to me saying that Christians and Latter-day Saints are, are different. Um, some people will want to say that we're of the same faith, but, but we're not. It's a different faith. And, uh, and that's an important distinction that we could talk more about some other time. But, but the way you should read the Bible is not seeking for hidden messages or assuming, going to the Bible, assuming that it stops short of the full revelation and you need something else from someone else to fill out the picture. When you start that way with the Bible, you then open the door to all sorts of teachings that go against the Bible, and that is what inevitably happens. I know that in the video, and it's common among Latter-day Saints, um, to hear this, this phrase in the video said this, that to understand the old Testament, you can bring alongside the book of Mormon and the two work together. What, what you'll have then is not one overriding the other, but the two work together. But inevitably in every single movement that says you need this material to supplement the Bible, what you have is that material actually taking over the Bible and that material dominating the Bible, not only going against what the Bible teaches, but then saying, well, the, the Bible just is wrong here, or it was translated incorrectly, or it was something was taken out or whatever. You actually can't take the Bible as a whole and say, this is a book from God. This is uh, a, a holy book and then add something to it and maintain that first position. You will, if you add something to the Bible, you will lose the concept that the Bible has been preserved or that it's holy and that it's divine. So, um, I I do kind of want to just end this with issuing a warning to those who are listening, who are committed to this idea that the Bible is not enough. And, uh, 
and I guess I could throw in a challenge with my warning. The challenge being, can you in any way defend the idea that plain and precious truths were removed from the Bible? Can you in any way back up the assertion that the Bible stops short of giving us the full truth of God? Can you justify doing to any part of the Bible what we just saw was done to Isaiah 29, where you're inserting foreign concepts into the text in order for it to confirm some other system of religion? Can you justify that in any way? Because it's so often, especially among Latter-day Saints, it's just so often assumed that that's how you should approach the Bible. But you have to challenge those assumptions. Those presuppositions have to be challenged. Because otherwise you're just accepting something uh, totally blindly. And Christianity is not about blind faith. It's just not. Everything should be examined. Everything should be tested. And as a Christian, I am totally open to that. I, I want the truth. And so we should test everything. And and I want to challenge you to test those presuppositions that you have because it just doesn't jive with the point of the text. Um, I want to warn you about taking promises in the Bible that come from God and twisting them to suit your own preconceived notions, theologies, the doctrines you've been handed down without challenging those. Like in Isaiah 29, instead of recognizing this as a blessed promise to Israel that God has already started to do among us today, um, taking that view that the book is the Book of Mormon and that um, today those who become Latter-day Saints uh, basically usurp Israel or turn into Israelites or however you want to imagine that and get Israel's blessing that they were promised in Isaiah 29, that is just an extremely dangerous position to take. I shouldn't say dangerous. It's because dangerous implies that um, it, it's like risky. Like maybe you can take that position and still be okay. Um, you, you cannot take that position and be okay before God. What you're doing is is you're robbing the text from what it's saying and, and you're inserting something false into the text. So I, I do want to challenge you, but I also just want to warn you and, and urge you to repent if that's your view of Scripture, that it falls short, it's weak, and that I need other outside influences to come in and to give me a meaning that's actually not in the text at all. What you're doing now is you are you're challenging God, and you will not win. So... I know that's that's pretty harsh sounding, but it's also just the truth. Repent and, and believe in the Word of God, if that's your position. If that's not your position, if if you're somebody who says, yeah, I, I what, what, what they're doing with that text doesn't make sense. I want to understand what Scripture says, what, what God has said in His Word, and that's all I want. Well, then God bless you and continue down that road and keep studying. And if there's anything I can do to be of service, anything I can do to help you, just let me know. I would love to to serve you in that way. So reach out in any way you'd like. Uh, would love to talk to you some more about that. But uh, that that was kind of me going without notes there. I hope that made sense. And it's something I take very seriously, our interpretation of the Bible and preserving the original message of the Bible. So if... Uh, 
If this has provoked your thinking in any way, would love to hear from you. And uh, th- thanks for your time. I re- really, really do appreciate your time. You could be spending your time doing anything else than listening to me. Thank you for being here and God bless. <laughs>